that's nice. I, I've heard many good things about you too. And I oh, love that's awesome. I love Zen. I love Zencaster. I wanted to start with Namaste, but that seems, <laughs> seems like everybody else wants to start. I know, right? Yeah. Well, I, I heard you have a lot of opinions, which I love. Yes. And and that uh, your book, which I have, I'm working through. Uh, it's kind of sci-fi time travel. I'd love to know a little bit about your motivation for it. Okay. Um. So let me ask you. Do you want to know my my um. Literally, why did I sit down and write a book, or was there a psychodynamic inside of me that forced you? You want to know my psychodynamic? Oh, yeah, that? of course I do. Everything. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to give you a brief history of myself, and I mean brief. Okay. I started out in a socially responsible household, and it was expected of me that my life would be a socially responsible life, and that went well with me. I am not a good rule follower. I didn't study much in high school and I, uh, I'm not being snobby. I didn't have to study because the stuff was so, so anyway, I'll give you the best story. I only read the first half of Romeo and Juliet. And then I wrote my paper. Then I went to England and saw the movie. And in the second half, when they died, they almost had to take me out of the theater in London in an ambulance because I had no idea they were going to die. That's Mm. my that's my academic history is that if you don't read the second half of Romeo and Juliet, you kind of missed it. So, um, so I was always a little out of the box. I did go to college. I went to a, you know, a a prestigious, but a sort of, um, out of the box college. And then I knew that I wanted to be in theater and theater was my motivating factor. So I started acting. Why is that? Is that me dinging? Oh, well, yeah, it is. Should I turn it off? Should I turn it off? Oh, it's fine. You know what? It's all good. Oh, okay. Goody. So I became a tap dancer because it was the people's indigenous art form because tap dancing came to America with the African slaves. The Irish brought over clogging, but the the slaves were brought over. And because they weren't allowed to drum to each other from one plantation to another, if Mm -hmm. they they were caught drumming, they were executed. So they developed this form tap dancing in which you couldn't um african-american tap dancers tend to dance from the hips down they don't do the you know the shirley temple arms and all that (laughs) And, and they would tap dance from their messages from one plantation to the other and i am not a slave descendant but i was very much a part of a social movement to try to capture popular American art forms would be mm. the best way to put it. And so I became a really good tap dancer and that led me to become, I had been a little dancer in high school. And, and once again, I, I couldn't play by the rule. I'm not a rule. I'm not a rule person. I just, it doesn't work well for me. So <laughs> it's not good for you. Huh? It, it, you know, I just don't like it. I think I'm, I, I'm not an anarchist, but um Yeah. I, I will. If you said to me, please, while we're on this podcast, please don't mention the word tabby cat because I have three of them. I mm-hmm. wouldn't do it. I would say, okay, I, I, I can do that for you. That seems reasonable to me. Maybe later I would say, what have you got against tabby cats? But I <laughs> right. you know what I mean? I wouldn't deliberately uh, sure. go around with what you've asked. But okay, I was a tap dancer. I became a jazz dancer. I became a regular dancer. Then I became an actress. And then, um, because I'm an, ex- I'm going to describe myself as exotic looking. I look like um, I- I'm exotic looking. I'm by no mm. means a standard. Uh, I-, I don't look like uh, a standard little blonde because I have black curly hair. Yeah. 
Um, so there weren't a lot of roles for women that aggravated me tremendously because, um, to this day, you know, I'm not interested in Moby Dick. I'm sorry. I, 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 that I did have to read in high school because I had to get, I'm not interested in seeing blubber torn off of things unless right. it's be glad to have some, uh, I've actually torn my blubber off, but mm. I, there were no roles for women. There really weren't, weren't any. So I started to write for myself and I'm, I'm trying to give you the very quick version. Um, I began to write, um, cabaret stuff and my boyfriend was a band leader for a circus. We lived in, by now I've left the East coast, um, uh, with, with one boyfriend and left the boyfriend for another boyfriend. And he, I'm not a profligate, you know, I'm not a, uh, I really am not. I've had five boyfriends in my life, but big deal. I left with one boyfriend and then hooked up with a a man who was playing music for the San Francisco meme troupe, which you may or may not have heard of. Mm -hmm. Um, They're actually the San Francisco mime troupe. Meme is a little affectation of theirs because it all comes from French meme. So, uh, he and I started a theater company. He was the band leader and I wrote for us. And so I usually sang or tap danced in any number we did. And from there we, San Francisco became very small at a certain point in terms of theatrical stuff. So we moved to LA because once again, the people live in LA and you could do the people's art form in LA. And we came down here and I, I was told very quickly, you're, you're, pretty enough, but you know, we don't do a lot of selling tomato sauce or olive oil and who the hell else, what would they hire you for a commercial for? This is a while ago. They're, they're much better. I mean, the demographics on TV are fantastically much better, although they're, yeah, I'd say they're getting there. TV is beginning to look like America, but at that time she really said the casting agent said, well, I've seen your tape and you're very talented, but I I hope you don't think you're going to work here because how many times am I going to be asked for someone who can do an olive oil commercial? So that was disheartening. And I formed a theater. You know, whenever I've been told, no, the good thing about you, about you, I don't know this about you, Darian, excuse me. The good thing about me is that if you say no to me, and I feel that there's a way I can do it myself. I'll just do it myself. So I formed a theater company down in LA and that got me into the uh, small theater scene as a, as a real participant. And I began to tire of writing um, cabaret because it's a limited form. And cause you, cause you know, you have now the musicians to deal with in addition to the actors Mm -hmm. and of all the actors I've ever dealt with. I am the biggest pain in the neck that I have ever worked with. I would come into shows that that I had written and I had produced and I would have a screaming fit and say, somehow between last week's performance and this week's performance, you shrunk my costume. I was unbearable. I hated my wigs. I hated my costumes. And I finally said, I don't think you're liking doing this. And um, live performing made me so nervous that I literally spent the you know the pre-show time um, peeing. So I'm allowed to say peeing in a podcast. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. You can say whatever you want. Okay, so so you know the terror became too much, and I thought, why don't you just write plays? Then you can just you know deal with the actors in a different way. And I did very successful plays for what for L.A. small theater at that time was fascinating, and more fascinating than New York because New York real estate 
had skyrocketed to the point that you really couldn't do experimental stuff, nor were they all that interested in it mm-hmm. for their vaunted, um, I love New York, it'll always be my home. I don't go above 23rd Street, but um, you know, downtown New York will always be in my soul. So, okay, I'm getting to the book. So I wrote plays, and then I got a job with an organization that wanted me to write documentaries, and I, I wasn't an essayist. I never did my essays uh And I started to write documentaries and I did it for a very long time because they were documentaries about the state of the world as it related to women. And it wasn't good. And it was all of our information came from uh, UNICEF and from we stole news footage. There's a thing you probably have heard of called necessary use doctrine. Mm -hmm. So if you need to, if you Darian want to make a documentary and you need to use 90 seconds of footage from an ABC news broadcast, if you ask their permission, they have to give it to you for, for, for up to 90 seconds. So of course we never asked permission, but we made one documentary after another that was so heartbreaking to me, uh, just heartbreaking. I'm not going to describe it. Why should I depress you? But alternately, I would do a play. So I did a play, then a documentary, then a play, then a documentary. And then very suddenly, five years ago, um, equity closed down, the equity, the actors union for plumbers um, closed down LA theater by making the rules so draconian that you couldn't really produce a play anymore. You could produce a one person show but that's very limited and very tedious. So between equity closing down and then the woman I had been writing the documentaries with um, lost her husband and, and she didn't want to write anymore. And so both things that I had done that were my creative outlet died. And I sat in my room for a couple of months patting my tabby cats, since you said I'm allowed to say it. Yes. Thought, well, you can try to learn to crochet. I am the worst domestic person in the world. I, really? Yeah. If you came over, I would say, Darian, can I make you a cup of coffee? And you'd say, oh, okay. Or no, I don't drink. Whatever it was, whatever I made you, you wouldn't be able to drink. I have, <laughs> you know, I can make it out of the Keurig and I'll hand it to someone with real milk or soy, whatever, and they won't drink it. And I look and I say, was something wrong with it? Uh, no, it was fine. And then it sits there. So mm. I'm not domestic in that way. I, I, I wasn't trained to be, and I don't want, I, I knew that a lifetime of crocheting was not what I wanted. So I really got <clears throat> very kind of inwardly motivated to say, what do you want to do? And what I realized was that I had always been a storyteller that when I was six years old in elementary school, kids who hated me would come and sit next to me at lunch. And I thought, these kids don't like me. I mean, not everyone hated me, but even the kids who hated me would come and sit with me because every day at lunch, I told the story. And um, as I look at my stories now, there's a tremendous similarity in the sense that my stories were always about going down into the subconscious mind. I wouldn't have six at six been able to say that to you, but somehow my character always crawled into a cave and the walls were rubies and and I don't like diamonds, rubies and emeralds and beautiful, beautiful stone. And then the character would, you know, go through a story. And that was really my initial instinct. And I just returned to it and said, I think you I think you should just try telling stories. I think they're called books. Why don't you try that? Mm-hmm. And I had um I'm a tremendous mystery story fan. 
So I I started out. (laughs) Do do you read mystery stories? No, not really. No. Okay. So there are a lot of, and this again is, there weren't a lot of women. I've read all the women novelists that everybody knows about. And some of them I really, Simone de Beauvoir, who people only know for the second sex, which is really boring. Um, But she's written some novels that will send you to another planet. And I, I, I read her novel, All Men Are Mortal, which is about a mortal man, and I'm sorry, an immortal man who meets an actress and he reveals to her that he's immortal. And the minute he does that, she wants to be with him because she figures if he's immortal, then she'll be remembered for all time as being the best actress in mm. the universe. And through the book, Simone de Beauvoir tells the story of his, the history of Europe. And it was so captivating to me. So um, I thought, well, yeah, writing a book would really do it. And I thought, okay, my sister had always at that point been very, um, she's 10 years older than me and it was easy for her to squish me like a bug. We're very close now. It has a happy ending. But when I was little, she tried to smother me pretty much every day. And <laughs> what? it was hard because my parents would go, oh, you have marks on your face. Did your sister try to smother you again? Oh, dear. Oh, well, and they would do nothing because they weren't really cut out to be parents, which is a lesson in my book that not everyone needs to be a parent. So I thought I'm going to write a book about a woman who meets her twin sister and then kills her. And then I thought, but that's already been written. That's a Josephine Tay novel called Rat Farrar. And it's fascinating and it's so beautifully written. But I thought that's called plagiarizing. You can't do that. Yeah. But but I knew I there was something about a twin that was very appealing to me. So I just sat down one day and started to write. And once I met the twin, who was actually a woman who had been on Earth 50 million years with a cohort of 100 people who had landed here. This turns out, by the way, to be Thai mythology, but I've never, I, I've read a lot of mythology. I've never read any Thai mythology. Right. I'm, I'm an Egyptian mythology fan. And me too. A, you, really? Oh, yeah. What a great, uh, incredible time period. And also the, the mythology and the, the grandeur of it all. It's incredible. And, and, and the fairness of it. You know, the Greeks are really like, um, Zeus liked to rape anything from a goat to a duck. You know, if if it was there, he raped it. The Greek, the Egyptians really aren't like that Uh, or not the, not Egyptian mythology covers a couple of thousand years, as I'm sure you know, but the myth of Osiris set Nephthys and Isis, the, the four siblings who marry each other. And one of the marriages is good and one of them isn't really has always fascinated me. And I I like that Egyptian mythology allows for the fact that at the end of your life, your heart is way, I'm going to start to cry. This is really important to me that, that Ma'at weighs your heart against a feather to see if you have lived the life. It's not even a value judgment. It's a, did you live the life you were intended to live? Mm -hmm. And it began to fill me with what, what does that mean, the life you were intended to live? And as I grew to know more spiritual people, my best friend is a Yoruba priestess. She's a, an African-American woman, the only woman ever ordained in Nigeria as, as a priestess. That's the highest level you get to in Yoruba. And she started to talk to me about one's contract with creation. Are you filling your contract with creation, which is 
which is to me sort of as beautiful as having your heart weighed against a feather to see, did you do what you were supposed to do while you were here this time? Because if you did, goody, you get to go on, you know, because I believe in that. And if you didn't, all we're going to do is send you back and try harder, try harder to do what you were supposed to do. And I buy that because I'm not, um, I have no religious background at all. And I don't have an explanation for mortality that I'm comfortable with. And so I really prefer stuff like uh, matter can neither be created nor destroyed. And the same is true for spirit. Your spirit can't be destroyed. It it transmogrifies into something else. It's not quite reincarnation. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do I, I do. Are you ready to call the ambulance and have me I'm take I'm not it? ready. I'm not calling any ambulance. This is actually very fascinating to me. It is? I'm so what, what, why? What do you mean? Like, you know, this is oh. a, a great uh, stream of consciousness that I'm very into. I actually, I wish I had way more time for this, honestly. And we're going to have to come back on this uh, okay. because you have like a great, I just find it fascinating. I don't know. Thank you so much. Yeah, you know, of course. It got, better. it got better because for the book, I really did want to know. I, I call the group of people that my, my protagonist has no name for the first 20 pages mm-hmm. of the book. Nobody in her family has a name ever. But when she meets this woman, I, I'm, this will be embarrassing. She meets her in Bloomingdale's at the cosmetics counter at the gift with purchase, which you may or may not know what that is. But mm-hmm. every, every month, every major cosmetics firm does a gift with purchase. And if you spend <clears throat> $36 to $45, they'll give you a little gift bag. And, and everybody loves them. So I started the book... Th- I really wanted the character to be very, very smart, very filled with soul, and very unknowing of herself, really having wasted her time here and and never having figured out what her purpose was on the planet. Because I, I believe everybody is allowed a purpose. And, you know, I, I consider taking care of animals to be a phenomenally good purpose, but um, she had nothing. And very smart and a, and a basically kind-hearted person, but an empty vessel. And so this committee of people who have been here 50 million years, excuse me, I have California morning throat, which means I have fire particulates. It's okay. <clears throat> this group of people chose her because every thousand years they ask a very smart human being to judge whether this planet is worth the energy it takes, because we're a high energy planet. And there are planets out there, in my mind, that are less high energy, that, you know, the people aren't as, I'm going to say it, aren't as cruel as the human race. And so they take my character, they give her a name, which is Deborah. Um, She's a biblical figure, Deborah. There are five lines written about her in the Bible. And I thought, really? five lines and I'm supposed to, but, but I knew that that was who the character should be. She's a warrior, a priestess and a a seer, a prophet. And I built the character to need to fulfill all of those things. And she does, and they take her on time travel so that they can show her the, the widest parameters possible of what really exists in time and space. So she gets to meet all of her family, most of whom are dead. She has she she develops a very good relationship with her family now that they're not on the planet all the time. I, I refer to it as time frequencies. Sometimes mm. 
sometimes the dead are on our time frequency and sometimes they're not. So you can't just go, I think I'd like to go with my mother and have lunch today. When she's in your time frequency, you visit with her. So I built a whole universe based basically on the boson particle, which I I am really not um, an astrophysicist, which you would learn if you asked me anything. Um, But but the boson particle supposedly created everything on earth in a billionth of a billionth of a second. And that works better for me than on the seventh day he rested. It's just closer to my own. And so my understanding is that if we wanted to end the planet, the boson particle would take a billionth of a billionth of a second to do that. And so my character is asked by this mythical group of um, immortal people on the planet um, to write a, a closing argument. The book is a closing argument in which she has to explain everything she has seen. They've taken her, I don't know if you're familiar with this, Weimar Germany is on the cusp of the rise of Hitler. And it was an incredibly, incredibly beautiful period of time. Everyone was free. LGBTQ people were free. Painters were free. Women went out at night in black lipstick and they're pretty freaky looking. And it's it's all in German expressionist painting. You can see Weimar Germany. And then of course, when Hitler came to power, they were smart enough to squash it. And they squashed it with an expression that translates to kitchen, church, and children. And everyone was squashed back into those roles. So she goes and she sees that and she kills a brown shirt. She's never, she's never killed anything more than a bug. And, um, she kills a brown shirt and she's a smallish woman and he's a largish man. And I learned from that, that it isn't about your size. It's about your will, your human spirit. And, and then the book turns into her, her learning that the human spirit is the strongest thing on the planet. Mm. And she has to decide if the human spirit is basically worth keeping. As I said, this is a high energy planet for, for those who want to, who wanna I really thought that was over with, but for those who want to keep um the planet going, we're not the easiest planet to keep going because right. we need a lot of different elements and stuff, and she has to look inside of herself and say, "What do I think about this planet?" She and I by the way, came to a mild disagreement. she's a little kinder hearted than I am mm-hmm. her Her position is if we could eliminate cruelty then the planet would be well worth saving. And my position is, yeah, go ahead and try. Because I've learned not to be cruel. I come from a very, um, <clears throat> I'm trying to be fair. My family were raised from shtetl people and they carry with them a, a, a kind of terror that is Velcroed into all of us. We're, you know, when my cat doesn't go to the bathroom for the day, I assume that the cat has um, abdominal cancer. And, and I have had cancer when I was 30. And that's very unusual. So that didn't help. But I am from a, a, a group of what I would call people who have a shtetl mentality. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it makes sense to me. And uh, I got to tell you, this is like crazy fascinating to me, like the jumping here and there. And I mean, I'm very into it. Like, this is a whole different conversation. Very different. Do you want to have a different conversation? I can skip over to to other stuff. No, no. Actually, what is good is we're going to keep people on their seats with this because I actually want to talk to Deborah. Yeah. I want to schedule this again, like another part of this. Okay. Because this is just like, 
This is gold. This is oh fascinating. God. Thank you so much. You have no idea how much that means to me. Oh, no, I'm serious. Thank I'm, you. I'm dead serious. Sometimes it's hard to get people to talk and say things, but like, and they're sometimes not themselves all the way. And I right. get the sense like you're yourself like constantly, all the time. That that's the deal about me saying I don't follow rules. What I really mean yes. by that is if you say to me, um, do you think it's okay that we uh I'll tell you this, this is the worst story I've read in months. The coronavirus is obviously a terrible nightmare, and I feel like I've been in a mental institution. My husband and I live in a big, beautiful apartment in Hollywood in a duplex and it's sunny and it's light, but we've painted all the walls white because that's what we like because then you can put paintings up, blah, 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 and everything looks good. But it does after a while, after eight months in a white room, and it, my room is huge. It's my bedroom and my office. I feel like I'm in a mental institution and coronavirus has driven me slightly out of my, I miss my friends. I miss, you know. Of course going out. And, and I know everybody else does too. But the newest thing is that um, Denmark has discovered that all 17 million of the minks who should not be on a mink farm because they're animals, they're not collars on your coat. I don't, you know, I'm obviously an animal rights person. Um, <clears throat> they're going to have to kill 17 million minks because the minks have caught the coronavirus. I'm not trying to be a doggy downer, but um, the minks have caught the coronavirus, spread it throughout the mink farm, and then they have discovered because it is a zoonotic pandemic, the minks can give it back to other animals. And um, there's a couple of cases where a person has given coronavirus to their dog or their cat, but the dog and cat slough it off and they don't give it back to people. Minks, unfortunately, can give the coronavirus back to people. And so they're going to, I'll just say it nicely, they're going to take care of the 17 million minks. Yeah. So they're not there anymore. I heard about it. Yeah, you I did, definitely, did I you definitely heard about it. I tried to tell my godson about it yesterday, and he said, don't, don't even finish the sentence. And I said, you eat meat. What, I, don't eat, I, I don't eat higher on the scale than fish because a fish can't break my heart. Um, and that's about, uh, even a chicken could break my heart and say, right. Oh, Susan, actually we're running out of time here, but seriously, I'm going to get you back on because I got to hear more of your opinions. These are, these are fascinating to me. I'm so grateful to you. And I want to tell you, I'm, I don't crap around about stuff like that. It means a lot to me. So are we saying goodbye and you'll, we're saying goodbye. We're saying goodbye for, for now, just for now. One thing about yourself, so I don't leave thinking I blabbered the whole time. <laughs> what do you want to know about me? <laughs> I want to know: are are you a Buddhist? Are you um, what What do you practice for your sanity? Uh, well, I am a Christian. I've been a lifelong Christian, but I also think um, into a variety of different aspects of spirituality in okay. my life so um, and ancient medicine. Love ancient medicine. Yeah. I mean, I could have a talk to you about a lot of crazy stuff. Yes, yeah, medicine, by the way, is coming back. Uh, I, oh, I take ancient medicine. We'll talk about that. So do I. And we'll have to talk about it off the podcast. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Listen, Susan, it's been awesome. Okay. Thank you so much. I'll All talk right. to you. You got it. Okay. Bye. So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. 
And I've been searching and searching and searching, and finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called The Donut, or The Dose of News Useful Today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine, and when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally, a daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences, and it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about. And it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else. It's your daily reminder that there is good in the world, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. So, get the donut. Stay informed. It's 100% free. You can unsubscribe anytime. Visit thedonut.co or text donut to 66866 to sign up today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.